You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning. It's a privilege to share with you God's Word this morning. Uh, I'm Andrew Wan, and I'm one of the elders of the Cross Culture Church of Christ. And it's uh, really a, a great... Uh, joy to um, bring greetings from our church in the city. You know, they say that there are two kinds of preachers. Um, One has something to say, and the other type has to say something. So one is focused, and the other is not. And um, this morning, our our message comes from Hosea, uh, and it's not an easy passage for some of you who have um, uh, read the book. Uh, secondly, let me just adjust this a little bit. And secondly, it's uh, also uh, we need to keep the big picture in mind. So um, uh, let us uh, pray this morning and ask the Lord to lead us. Let us pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we continue to ask you to help us as we look into your word. Uh, It's not an easy passage. We want to ask that your spirit may open our hearts and enlighten us to your word this morning. Amen. So this morning we are continuing our series on the uh, kingdom and this is the last of our series uh, on the Old Testament. It's uh, on God's prophesied kingdom. The theme is exile. So let's recap what we learned last week. Well, we started with God's creation. We saw the fall uh, in the Garden of Eden and the promise made to Abraham and the rescue from Egypt. And then last week was the temple, uh, temple that was uh, 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 that. David wanted to build, but in the end, uh, the son, King Solomon, built it. So you see that atop there, they were at the pinnacle uh, of the kingdom. They were actually at the top. Uh, It's called the golden age uh, of the kingdom. But this week, we're actually covering the bottom part, which will be on the downhill. And what's happening here, here is that Uh, Immediately after the death of um, uh, King Solomon, we find that the kingdom started to have cracks. The ten tribes broke away under King Jeroboam I and formed the northern kingdom of Israel. And the remaining two tribes formed the southern kingdom of Judah. The heart of the people began to be attracted to the nations around them. Of course, Solomon had many wives, and they brought with them many foreign gods. So this morning, we will look at the prophesied kingdom, and we see that uh, in the divided kingdom, God sent them prophets. So you see that Hosea and Amos was actually the prophets in the northern kingdom of Israel. Whereas on the southern kingdom, you find in the, in, in the kingdom of uh, Judah, you've also got m- many prophets, which we are familiar with. Um, prophets like uh, um, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, 
um, and so on. And then, of course, uh, we find that uh, also uh, God uh, had prophets all along, not only in the kingdom period, because all in the history of um, Israel, we find that prophets like Moses, like Elijah, like Nathan, Samuel, and so on. Uh, so we can see that uh, Hosea, in verse 1, is a prophet in the kingdom of Israel under this king called Jeroboam the first, Jeroboam the, the, the first. Sorry, Jeroboam the second. The first was the one that uh, broke away. This is uh, Jeroboam the second. And in the Old Testament, uh, we have 17 books of prophecy. Five books we call the major prophets. And um, the uh, 12 books we call the minor prophets. The reason is uh, not because one is more important than the other. It's because the length of the books. So the minor prophets are actually shorter than the major prophets. So having that in mind, with the background, let's look at the book of Hosea. I want to cover three points this morning. The call to marriage, the consequences of unfaithfulness, and the coming restoration. Let's look into your Bibles, the call to marriage. In verse 2, we read that when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of Hodom, and have children of Hodom, for the land commits great Hodom by forsaking the Lord, so he went and took Goma, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. And that's a very unusual calling, isn't it? Unusual because it is very vivid, it is very strong, and it is very provocative language. Um, the issue for us as Christians is that it comes from God. So Hosea was to go and take a wife of Hordom, have children of Hordom. Uh, and what God is calling Hosea uh, is to marry this lady, uh, Goma. In the ESV version of the Bible, the wife of Hordom is, 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 is what we read. But in the NIV uh, version of the Bible, it says that Goma is a promiscuous woman. Uh, but a call like this obviously raises many questions. Why did God command Hosea to do this? It seems that it is morally incompatible with the character of God. If it bothers you, it has bothered Bible scholars as well. There is no clear answer and different scholars have different views. But when we look at the word, the Hebrew word for whoredom, or Zonun, it has the meaning of immoral and promiscuous, suggesting it is not a profession uh, of a prostitute, but a character or a tendency. Uh, so it, this would imply that Goma was not a prostitute before marriage to, to Hosea, but she has a tendency, um, a, a sort of uh, a leaning towards being promiscuous. Others feel that Goma had already committed adultery uh, or immorality before 
Um, and since, because of that, Goma was not really a virgin when she married Hosea. But the Bible does not make it clear either way. But there was a purpose that God wanted this marriage to happen. It is to show Israel that they are actually a nation is committing whoredom by forsaking the Lord in verse 2. So let's find out what it means. Although Hosea was faithful to his vows, but his wife, Goma, we read, was not. She followed all her immoral desires and started having many affairs and many lovers. We read this in chapter 2. It must have been very difficult for Hosea as he faithfully served God and his life was so open to the public. It was uh, open for everyone to see uh, how they have forsaken God and gone away after gods of other nations, just like a prostitute going after uh, many, many lovers. But the people were asking themselves, hang on a bit, Hosea, what, what are you talking about? At this period of history, this is Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II, um, not the first king. Um, uh, the times were actually quite good. The period was termed the Second Golden Age. There was wealth and prosperity. There was unity and stability. The people were actually living uh, well. They had long lives. Uh, they were actually very happy. And they, they think that, oh, God is actually blessing us. How can... Uh, Hosea say that they are unfaithful when they are enjoying the blessings of God. Well, outwardly they were thriving and prospering, but spiritually, inwardly, they were actually bankrupt. And this is always the case with prosperity. Pride and greed are never far behind. And people were thinking, how good everything is, and they've been so successful as a nation, and they began to forget about God. Do you know, uh, this morning, as I look around, all of you look very neat and proper today. Uh, some of you look so well that you've come with suit and tie. I'm not looking at you, Roger. Uh, <laughs> coming to church in your best attire. I guess uh, some of you looked in the mirror today. I looked in the mirror today and that's what I saw. So I said, look, ah, it's uh, something to do with my eyesight. <laughs> um, um, and the mirror allows us to look at the blemishes uh, and imperfections in our lives. Can you imagine going through life without a mirror? Can you imagine going for an interview or a date or a wedding, or coming to church without actually looking at the mirror first. Uh, and for the ladies, you know, you agree that you've got to look in the mirror when you put on your lipstick, or, you know, or you comb your hair, or put on your makeup. You've got to make sure that everything is in the right and proper place. And for us, uh, older folks, the men, we need the mirror to count the remaining hairs on our head, as well as the teeth, of course. Um, the mirror has become so indispensable, right, that unconsciously it has become part of our life. And do you know that God has given us a mirror for our souls? 
The Bible is the mirror for our souls. And God reminds us that as we look into the mirror of the Bible, we are going to see spots and marks on our spiritual life that um, we need to take note of. You know, it will not benefit us if we just look at it and do nothing about it. And this is what exactly God is doing. He's using Hosea's marriage to mirror what's happening to the nation of Israel, telling them, look, this is your disobedience, this is your unfaithfulness. In the book of James, we are reminded that there are some people who actually look into the mirror, they see whatever is wrong with them, and what do they do? They just walk away and forget what they've seen. Uh, looking in the mirror helps if we walk away and do something. But if we are not going to do anything, if not going to act on it, it is no good. It doesn't help. We just, we just, don't, we just don't ignore God's word and walk away. You know, in, in, in Hosea's marriage, you find that Hosea actually gave uh, Gomer, the love of a husband, uh, the security of a home, and Gomer just walked away from it. The vows of faithfulness, love and commitment made in the marriage was actually discarded by Gomer, committing adulterous affairs, like a person who looked in the mirror and walked away. Can you imagine how Hosea must have felt? The sense of betrayal, the loss of trust, the feelings of rejection. And this is exactly what Israel did to God. They have forgotten that they are a special people. They've forgotten that they are a holy nation. They have forgotten that they are a kingdom of priests. Exodus 19. They've forgotten God's covenants. And they've adopted the wicked and pagan practices of the surrounding nations. And there are, there are consequences of unfaithfulness. And we see it playing, played out in Hosea's family life, in the children's names. Verse 4, And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. That's a handful. <laughs> you will not understand unless we unpacked it. And that's what we're going to do. So the first child, his name is Jezreel. Now, what does it mean? First child's name is Jezreel. Now, Jezreel here has a double meaning. And here in the context, the blood of Jezreel refers to a place a place of a bloody massacre that was committed by Jehu, King Jehu, an ancestor of the present King Jeroboam II. And what is it that Jehu did that was so bad? So we read this in 2 Kings chapter 9. We find that Jehu acted actually on God's command to get rid of the evil queen Jezebel. So he executed her in this place called Jezreel. Uh, 
And, but here's the problem. Instead of disposing the evil king Ahab and Queen Jezebel, he took matters into his own hands and he went on a killing spree. He wiped out all opposition so that he could become king. And he did nothing about the pagan uh, worship that was happening. So there was a lot of blood that was spilled. And this place, Jezreel, people remember. It's a place of violence, a place of bloodshed. So Hosea's eldest son, Jezreel's name is bloodshed or battlefield. So in verse 5, on that day, God is saying, he is going to punish Israel by breaking the bow. The bow meaning the bow and arrow, which is the armies of Israel. They will be defeated in this place called the Valley of Jezreel. Uh, God is going to hold Jehu and his descendants accountable for what they've done, for the innocent blood that was shed. So it's uh, not just the sin of Jehu, but it's also the uh, kings of Israel. They were actually quite evil and wicked as well. So God was uh, angry with them, and they will suffer the consequences of their unfaithfulness. When you look at the children, they look very cute, but their names are not. We know Jezreel, of course. And the second child in verse 6 is a girl. And the Lord said, name her Lo-Ruhama, which means no mercy, no pity. This daughter's name is another warning to Israel. In fact, God is saying he's going to withhold his hand of mercy and forgiveness from them. In addition, there will be no mercy from their enemies because they have turned their backs to God. In verse 8, Gomer conceived again, and she bore, um, Hosea, another, oh, bore another child. Uh, his name is called Lo-Amai, Lo which means not my people. And this should be a wake-up call for the nation. They have always seen themselves as the people of God, as God's chosen people. And now God says, you are not my people. God reminds them that if they persist in their sins, they will forfeit their rights and privileges as God's people. Can you imagine what it must be like for the children with names like that? Can you imagine every time you see Hosea's children coming down the, the street? Ah, that's bloodshed that's coming. Let's run. Oh, no mercy. It's just uh, walking down the street there. Let's hide. Oh, that's not my people coming there. Let's go the other way. Can you imagine somebody visiting the home of Hosea? You ask Hosea, hey, how are your children coming along? Oh, oh bloodshed. Bloodshed is taking care of the cattle. Or, you know, no, no mercy is in school. Or, not my people is washing the dishes. Not a very pleasant home to visit, but every time you go to the home, you're reminded what's going to happen, the consequences. 
of God's coming judgment. You know, my wife and I, we like to drive to our favorite shops for groceries or for a, a meal. And I enjoy the, the drive. And each time I drive, most certainly I would hear this. 40, 40, 40, or 60, 60, 60. Of course, we are heading down the 40 kilometer an hour zone or the 60 kilometer an hour zone. And, you know, I, I to be honest, I, I really don't like it because, you know, I, I feel that, look, you know, this is an irritation. And I always say, I know, I know. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I really don't want to be told um, what to do because I'm driving, I'm in charge, I'm in control. Until, of course, I see the car next to me speeding past me and the traffic uh, lights flashing away. They, they say, that car just copped it. That's a $400 speeding fine. And of course, when you sit back, what a relief. I could have been in the same boat if I did not listen to the 40, 40, 40, or 60, 60. And, and it's a reminder for me, that, you know, there is a warning that we need to heed. So I'm very thankful for Michelle, my wife, who's not here today in Sunday school. She's going to uh, be in Sunday school. She's my own personal speed warning system. <laughs> and of course, this week, all of us were uh, enthralled. Uh, uh, me being an engineer, I, I like uh, to listen to the news. Uh, of this uh, submersible uh, going down to visit the wreck of the Titanic. And we knew what happened, right? The five souls were lost. You see, there were actually uh, warnings uh, to the CEO that the material you're using is the first time you're using it in this craft. You've got to check and test this material before you go down so deep into the ocean. But the CEO said, look, I know, I know. I'm in control. I know what to do. And of course, the CEO's name is Stockton Rush. Something to remember. Yeah, we, we, we think of the poor souls, but something to remember if warning signs come, should we not stop and not rush into things? Should we not pray before we rush into things? I don't know. I, 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 you know it, it, perhaps God is telling us, putting up warning signs in our life. Stop. Don't rush. Pray. Seek. Look at what, uh, 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 you know, have you asked someone to pray for you? Perhaps uh, it's a business relationship that's not quite right. Perhaps it's a tax return that we're going to make soon. And it's a bit questionable. Uh, perhaps uh, it's an addiction to online pornography. Are there warning signs in our lives that we need to take off? 
and Hosea's children's names are a powerful reminder to Israel of what's going to happen. That there is bloodshed coming, that there's going to be no mercy, that they will be no people. And we find that it did not last long, the prosperity in Israel. 20 years after the death of King Jeroboam II, uh, in 722, the Assyrians destroyed Samaria, the capital of Israel. They took the people into slavery and they never returned to the land again, as predicted by Hosea. Hosea was probably alive when he saw his prophecies come true. He saw the bloodshed, he saw the merciless battle as the city of Samaria was ravaged and razed to the ground. For Judah, uh, well, for Judah, the southern kingdom, God had this promise in verse 7. I will have mercy on the house of Judah. I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow and sword and so on. So this points to a supernatural victory from God. So when the Assyrians actually attacked from the north, they destroyed Samaria, they were coming south. But God intervened and, um, uh, and saved um, Judah. And it was not saved by the, the military might, not by bow or sword and so on, but it is by God's um, grace and intervention. That's 2 Kings 19, if you read that. And even then... Um, Judah didn't last. They had a few good kings, but in 586 BC, 130 years after uh, the destruction of Israel, the Babylonians came. They destroyed Jerusalem and took them all to exile. And can you imagine, in the exile, we are down at the bottom of the, of the graph now, can you imagine in the, in, in the exile, the people now have lost their status as a people. They've lost the land. The land is destroyed. They've lost their king. It's in, taken to slavery. They are nobody in a foreign country. Yet, in that time, there were still, um, uh, God is still faithful to his promises. And as they cry out to God, God still have his prophets in the exile. Of course, you think about Ezekiel. Think about Daniel, who were prophets uh, in the exile. So God comes and gives them hope for the future. The coming restoration. And God gives the hope of the coming restoration. We see this being played out in verse 10. The key word is yet. Yet. The first word is yet. Yet says tells us that don't switch off the lights. I, God says, I am not true yet. There's more to come. So it says here, yet the number of uh, the children of Israel should be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And the place where it was said of them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God, and the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. And you can 
uh, and so on. Let's um, continue. Um, so this is the key to what will happen in the future yet. So God is talking about the future now. Uh, and remember, Hosea is still living in Israel and the destruction is still yet to happen. Uh, and verse 11, all this is going to happen in the day of Jezreel. Again, the word Jezreel comes back. Uh, this time, it takes on a second meaning. So this is not a place where bloodshed occurs, but this is the day. This is a future time, a day of Jezreel. Uh, this is actually a time of sowing. It's a time of multiplication. It will be a great time. On this day of Jezreel, uh, you can see God changing the names of the children. So the children will say, oh, thank God, I don't have to live with these names again. So Jezreel is now the day of multiplication, day of increase, uh, day of sowing. No mercy will actually receive mercy in chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, not my people will become my people, children of the living God. And so there is future hope. And when we put this together, we see that God's people in the future is going to be a nation again. And they will come from many nations. They will like, be like the sand uh, of the sea, pointing to the fulfillment of the covenant made to Abraham in Exodus 22. And they will be the new Israel. They will be called the children of the living God. And secondly, in the future, God's place, they will return to the promised land, Canaan, the place where they are going to be not my people. That means they are going to be destroyed in that place, which is going to happen soon. Uh, but in the future, they will be back again in the same place as the children of the living God. Points to a future return. And thirdly, God's rule and blessing in verse 11, they will be united. They will appoint one head, one leader who will lead them. So pointing to the Davidic covenant, a covenant made to King David, that God will establish his kingdom and his kingdom will be established forever. So God shows mercy in being loving and patient, yet he continues to give hope and restoration to his people. Let's see how this is played out in the life of Hosea. Sorry, we stopped at chapter 2, but really if you want to uh, finish the, the story about Hosea, you've got to turn to chapter 3. So chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, just turn to chapter 3 um, and we'll um, look at verse 1 to 3. So, uh, verse 1 in chapter 3, um, the Lord said to me, said to Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Can you, can you sort of imagine what must have gone through the heart of Hosea? He would be asking, what? Lord, do you want me to go out and love Gomer again? After all that she's done to me? And Hosea could have divorced. 
Gomer a long time ago, but he clung on. He went trusting God. He went looking for his wife. Now, of course, uh, as a footnote, uh, God has nothing against eating raisin cakes. Uh, these are cakes that are related to pagan worship. So if you like raisin cakes, that's fine. Can you picture the scene? It's many years later. Gomer is no longer young, attractive, desirable. Her beauty has long gone. Her skin is now wrinkled. Hair is greying. Her body is old and worn, showing the consequences of immorality and abuse. And we read in verse 2 of chapter 3, she is no longer free, but she is enslaved to a born master. She had fallen on hard times. She's really down in the pits. All she can think of is to work and work and die. And as she recalls the past, we can feel her tears of regret and pain and sorrow. The tears running down her tired and wrinkled face. And then she saw something in the glimmer of the light, a solitary figure of a man, something that she will never forget. It was her dear husband, Hosea, lovingly putting out the 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lactac of barley, which is a mule and a half of barley. It was a heavy price to pay. It was sacrificial. It was the price of the redemption for a slave. As Hosea carries the broken, tired, and weary Gomer home, Gomer does not resist. There is no more words to express the love, the tenderness, and the gratitude that she must have felt in her heart. In verse 3, Hosea said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I will also be with you. Here you can see Goma restoring one, Goma's identity. She will be Hosea's wife, not a slave. He will restore her integrity. Her life of prostitution will end. She will be restored back to the family. What an incredible story of unrelenting, selfless, sacrificial love. A picture of redemption by Hosea is actually a pointer to the future redemption to come. The same unrelenting, selfless, sacrificial love that is demonstrated on the cross. The Son of God coming to die and redeem us from our sins. As we end, let's look at the big picture. So it is with confidence that we see God's prophesied kingdom. Hosea brings hope of a future return 
and a restoration from exile. In 538 BC, 70 years after the exile in Babylon, they did return to Jerusalem and start to rebuild. And for the next 500 years, the world awaits for God's coming King and Messiah. The prophets prepares the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as he steps into history and establishes his kingdom on earth. And that is the end of our Old Testament overview. But if you look at our resources page, there are actually three more units or three more lessons um, on the New Testament. So I would encourage if you have your own personal time, personal uh, devotion, just go and um, uh, follow up and study those materials. Or if you have a small group, use those materials uh, to study as well. So what can we take away today? What can we take away? First, God is in control. Have you noticed something about the passage? Have you noticed that it is God who takes the initiative? Have you noticed that it is God who calls Hosea? It is God who gives the children their names? It is God who calls Hosea to love Goma again? It is not easy for Hosea to see the destruction of Israel by their enemies and taken to slavery. They paid the price for their unfaithfulness and disobedience. It seems to be the end, yet he continues, Hosea continues to have hope and trust in God because he sees God fully in control. And when we look at our world today, as we prayed, we seem to be on the path of destruction, crime, violence, immorality, decline of the church, the global pandemic, disasters from climate change, continuing wars, the list goes on. The Bible gives us hope and a predicted final outcome. One day Jesus will return to establish his kingdom and restore his creation on earth. So our Christian hope is that God is still on the throne. God is in control. There is hope for the future. Second thing is that we need to obey him wholeheartedly. Have you noticed something about the passage? Have you noticed that when God calls Hosea to marry Goma, he obeys without question? Have you noticed that when God gave names, such terrible names, uh, to the children, of course it changed at the end, Hosea never objected? Have you noticed that when God calls Goma to, uh, Hosea to love Goma again, he went without excuses? What does that tell us? Hosea obeyed even though at times he may not understand. It may be difficult. Yet, he didn't give any excuses. There are no ifs. There are no buts. There are no maybes. He just 
went. And Deuteronomy chapter 10 reminds us what it is to obey God. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Hosea was willing to fear the Lord, to walk with God, to love God, and to serve God wholeheartedly. So this morning, will you obey the Lord like Hosea? Will you commit your life to the living God who has the best for your life? Will you be a Hosea and love him wholeheartedly? Let us pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know the beginning from the end. You have given us hope because you are in control. And we thank you for this wonderful life that Hosea tells us about obedience and faithfulness. And also what an amazing God you are. Help us to make the right choices in our life. We know that it can be difficult at times, but you have given us the Holy Spirit to help us. You've given us your word. You've given us the strength. So we pray that you'll continue to lead us by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.